0: This podcast is made possible by the loyal citizens of Another World, Aaron, Etiosa, Marissa, and John. Thank you guys so much. If you want to join the ranks of loyal citizens of Another World, you can just go to anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks and click on support this podcast. All righty, on to chapter 8 of The Hound of the Baskervilles. Hope you guys are enjoying the podcast so far. Uh, And yeah, I'm assuming if you are still listening, then you probably are, since this is chapter (laughs) 8 of the book already. Oh man, flying by. Uh, Love, loving this book so far. Hope you guys are too. Uh, Make sure to get in touch with me if you have a suggestion for uh, the next book that we do. Uh, You have some options out there that I'm super excited about. I'll be bringing those to you. So thanks for everybody who's getting in touch and supporting the podcast. It makes all the difference in the world. So, now without further ado, I give you chapter 8 of The Hound of the Baskervilles. Chapter 8 First Report of Dr. Watson. From this point onward, I will follow the course of events by transcribing my own letters to Mr. Sherlock Holmes, which lie before me on the table. One page is missing, but otherwise they are exactly as written, and show my feelings and suspicions of the moment more accurately than my memory clear as it is upon these tragic events, can possibly do. Baskerville Hall, October 13th My dear Holmes, My previous letters and telegrams have kept you pretty well up to date as to all that has occurred in this most godforsaken corner of the world. The longer one stays here, the more does the spirit of the Moor sink into one's soul, its vastness, and also its grim charm. When you are once out upon its bosom, you have left all traces of modern England behind you, but, on the other hand, you are conscious everywhere of the homes and the work of the prehistoric people. On all sides of you as you walk are the houses of these forgotten folk, with their graves and the huge monoliths which are supposed to have marked their temples. As you look at their grey stone huts against the scarred hillsides, you leave your own age behind you, and if you were to see a skin-clad hairy man "'Crawl out from the low door, fitting a flint-tipped arrow on the string of his bow, "'you would feel that his presence there was more natural than your own. "'The strange thing is that they should have lived so thickly on what must have been most unfruitful soil. "'I am no antiquarian, but I could imagine that they were some unwarlike and harried race "'who were forced to accept that which none other would occupy.' All this, however, is foreign to the mission on which you sent me, and will probably be very uninteresting to your severely practical mind. I can still remember your complete indifference as to whether the sun moved round the earth or the earth round the sun. Let me therefore return to the facts concerning Sir Henry Baskerville. If you have not had any report within the last few days, it is because up to today there was nothing of importance to relate. Then a very surprising circumstance occurred, which I shall tell you in due course, but first of all I must keep you in touch with some of the other factors in the situation. One of these, concerning which I have said little, is the escaped convict upon the moor. There is strong reason now to believe that he has got right away, which is a considerable relief to the lonely householders of this district. A fortnight has passed since his flight, during which he has not been seen and nothing has been heard of him. It is surely inconceivable that he could have held out upon the moor during all that time. Of course, so far as his concealment goes, there is no difficulty at all. Any one of these stone huts would give him a hiding-place, but there is nothing to eat unless he were to catch and slaughter one of the moor sheep. We think, therefore, that he has gone, and the outlying farmers sleep the better in consequence. We are four able-bodied men in this household, so that we could take good care of ourselves, but I confess that I have had uneasy moments when I have thought of the Stapletons. They live miles from any help, there are one maid, an old man servant, the sister, and the brother, the latter not a very strong man. They would be helpless in the hands of a desperate fellow like this Notting Hill criminal if he could once effect an entrance. Both Sir Henry and I were concerned at their situation, and it was suggested that Perkins, the groom, should go over to sleep there, but Stapleton would not hear of it. The fact is that our friend, the baronet, begins to display a considerable interest in our fair neighbour. It is not to be wondered at but time hangs heavily in this lonely spot to an active man like him, and she is a very fascinating and beautiful woman. There is something tropical and exotic about her which forms a singular contrast to her cool and unemotional brother. Yet he also gives the idea of hidden fires. He has certainly a very marked influence over her, for I have seen her continually glance at him as she talked, as if seeking approbation for what she said. I trust that he is kind to her, "'There is a dry glitter in his eyes "'and a firm set of his thin lips "'which goes with a "'and possibly a harsh nature. "'You would find him an interesting study. "'He came over to call upon Baskerville "'on that first day, "'and the very next morning "'he took us both to show us the spot "'where the legend of the wicked Hugo "'is supposed to have had its origin. "'It was an excursion of some miles across the moor "'to a place which is so dismal "'that it might have suggested the story.' We found the short valley between rugged tors, which led to an open grassy space, flecked over with the white cotton grass. In the middle of it rose two great stones, worn and sharpened at the upper ends, until they looked like the huge corroded fangs of some monstrous beast. In every way it corresponded with the scene of the old tragedy. Sir Henry was much interested, and asked Stapleton more than once whether he did really believe in the possibility of the interference of the supernatural in the affairs of men. He spoke lightly, but it was evidence that he was very much in earnest. Stapleton was guarded in his replies, but it was easy to see that he said less than he might, and that he would not express his whole opinion out of consideration for the feelings of the baronet. He told us of similar cases, where families had suffered from some evil influence, and he left us with the impression that he shared the popular view upon the matter. On our way back we stayed for lunch at Merripit House, and it was there that Sir Henry made the acquaintance of Miss Stapleton. From the first moment that he saw her, he appeared to be strongly attracted by her, and I am much mistaken if the feeling was not mutual. He referred to her again and again on our walk home, and since then hardly a day has passed that we have not seen something of the brother and sister. They dine here tonight, and there is some talk of our going to them next week. One would imagine that such a match would be very welcome to Stapleton, And yet I have more than once caught a look of the strongest disapprobation in his face when Sir Henry has been paying some attention to his sister. He is much attached to her, no doubt, and would lead a lonely life without her, but it would seem the height of selfishness if he were to stand in the way of her making so brilliant a marriage. Yet I am certain that he does not wish their intimacy to ripen into love, and I have several times observed that he has taken pains to prevent them from being tete-a-tete. By the way— "'Your instructions to me to never allow Sir Henry to go out alone "'will become very much more onerous "'if a love affair were to be added to our other difficulties. "'My popularity would soon suffer "'if I were to carry out your orders to the letter. "'The other day, Thursday to be more exact, "'Dr. Mortimer lunched with us. "'He has been excavating a barrow at Long Down "'and has got a prehistoric skull which fills him with great joy. "'Never was there such a single-minded enthusiast as he.' The Stapletons came in afterwards, and the good doctor took us all to the Yew Alley at Sir Henry's request to show us exactly how everything occurred upon that fatal night. It is a long, dismal walk, the Yew Alley, between two high walls of clipped hedge and a narrow band of grass upon either side. At the far end is an old tumble down summer house. Halfway down is the moor gate, where the old gentleman left his cigar ash. It is a white wooden gate with a latch. Beyond it lies the wide moor. "'I remembered your theory of the affair, and tried to picture all that had occurred. "'As the old man stood there, he saw something coming across the moor, "'something which terrified him, so that he lost his wits and ran and ran "'until he died of sheer horror and exhaustion. "'There was the long, gloomy tunnel down which he fled. "'And from what? A sheepdog on the moor? "'Or a spectral hound, black, silent, and monstrous? "'Was there a human agency in the matter?' "'Did the pale, watchful Barrymore know more than he cared to say? "'It was all dim and vague, but always there is the dark shadow of crime behind it. "'One other neighbour I have met since I wrote last. "'This is Mr. Franklin of Laughter Hall, who lives some four miles to the south of us. "'He is an elderly man, red-faced, white-haired, and choleric. "'His passion is for the British law, and he has spent a large fortune in litigation.' He fights for the mere pleasure of fighting, and is equally ready to take up either side of a question, so that it is no wonder that he has found it costly amusement. Sometimes he will shut up a right of way, and defy the parish to make him open it. At others, he will, with his own hands, tear down some other man's gate, and declare that a path has existed there from time immemorial, defying the owner to prosecute him for trespass. He is learned in old manorial and communal rites, and he applies his knowledge, sometimes in favour of the villagers of Fernworthy, and sometimes against them, so that he is periodically either carried in triumph down the village street, or else burned in effigy, according to his latest exploit. He is said to have about seven lawsuits upon his hands at present, which will probably swallow up the remainder of his fortune, and so draw his sting and leave him harmless for the future. Apart from the law, he seems a kindly good-natured person, and I only mention him because you were particular that I should send some description of the people who surround us. He is curiously employed at present, for, being an amateur astronomer, he has an excellent telescope, with which he lies upon the roof of his own house and sweeps the moor all day in the hope of catching a glimpse of the escaped convict. If he would confine his energies to this, all would be well.' "'but there are rumours that he intends to prosecute Dr. Mortimer "'for opening a grave without the consent of the next of kin "'because he dug up the Neolithic skull in the barrow upon Long Down. "'He helps to keep our lives from being monotonous "'and gives a little comic relief where it is badly needed. "'And now, having brought you up to date in the escaped convict "'the Stapletons, Dr. Mortimer, and Franklin of Laughter Hall, "'let me end on that which is most important "'and tell you more about the Barrymores.' "'and especially about the surprising development of last night. First of all, about the test telegram which you sent from London "'in order to make sure that Barrymore was really here. "'I have already explained that the testimony of the postmaster shows "'that the test was worthless, and that we have no proof one way or the other. "'I told Sir Henry how the matter stood, and he at once, in his downright fashion, "'had Barrymore up, and asked him whether he had received the telegram himself. "'Barrymore said that he had.' Did the boy deliver it into your own hands? asked Sir Henry. Barrymore looked surprised and considered for a little time. No, said he. I was in the box room at the time, and my wife brought it up to me. Did you answer it yourself? No. I told my wife what to answer, and she went down to write it. In the evening he recurred to the subject of his own accord. "'I could not quite understand the object of your questions this morning, Sir Henry,' said he. "'I trust that they do not mean that I have done anything to forfeit your confidence.' "'Sir Henry had to assure him that it was not so, and pacify him by giving him a considerable part of his old wardrobe, the London outfit having now all arrived. "'Mrs. Barrymore is of interest to me. She is a heavy, solid person, very limited, intensely respectable, and inclined to be puritanical.' You could hardly conceive a less emotional subject. Yet I have told you how, on the first night here, I heard her sobbing bitterly, and since then I have more than once observed traces of tears upon her face. Some deep sorrow gnaws ever at her heart. Sometimes I wonder if she has a guilty memory which haunts her, and sometimes I suspect Barrymore of being a domestic tyrant. I have always felt that there was something singular and questionable in this man's character "'but the adventure of last night brings all my suspicions to a head. "'And yet it may seem a small matter in itself. "'You are aware that I am not a very sound sleeper, "'and since I have been on guard in this house "'my slumbers have been lighter than ever. "'Last night, about two in the morning, "'I was aroused by a stealthy step passing my room. "'I rose, opened my door, and peeped out. "'A long black shadow was trailing down the corridor.' It was thrown by a man who walked softly down the passage with a candle held in his hand. He was in shirt and trousers, with no covering to his feet. I could merely see the outline, but his height told me that it was Barrymore. He walked very slowly and circumspectly, and there was something indescribably guilty and furtive in his whole appearance. I have told you that the corridor is broken by the balcony, which runs round the hall, but that it is resumed upon the farther side. I waited until he had passed out of sight, and then followed him. When I came round the balcony, he had reached the end of the farther corridor, and I could see from the glimmer of the light through an open door that he had entered one of the rooms. Now, all these rooms are unfurnished and unoccupied, so that his expedition became more mysterious than ever. The light shone steadily, as if he were standing motionless. I crept down the passage as noiselessly as I could, and peeped round the corner of the door. Barrymore was crouching at the window with a candle held against the glass. His profile was half-turned towards me, and his face seemed to be rigid with expectation as he stared out into the blackness of the moor. For some minutes he stood watching intently. Then he gave a deep groan, and with an impatient gesture he put out the light. Instantly I made my way back to my room, and very shortly came the stealthy steps passing once more upon their return journey. Long afterwards, when I had fallen into a light sleep, I heard a key turn somewhere in a lock— but I could not tell whence the sound came. What it all means I cannot guess, but there is some secret business going on in this house of gloom, which sooner or later we shall get to the bottom of. I do not trouble you with my theories, for you ask me to furnish you only with the facts. I have had a long talk with Sir Henry this morning, and we have made a plan of campaign founded upon my observations of last night. I will not speak about it just now, but it should make my next report interesting reading. None of you guys are on Twitter, but you definitely should come out and check uh, our uh, social media channel there on Twitter. It's really fun. I love connecting with kind of, it's I, I'm an author too, so besides audiobooks, I do, um I actually do some writing myself. I haven't published anything yet, but kind of getting there. Um, but anyway, it's just really cool to connect with other authors and book lovers there on Twitter. So if you are a Twitter uh, person and you like books and that type of thing, come check us out. The link is down in the show notes, so you can just, uh, I think it's at Greenwood Tales. So I couldn't get another world, unfortunately, on Twitter. But we're at Greenwood Tales, so come check us out there on Twitter get cool uh, art uh, images to put out about the show and that type of thing. And uh, notifications anytime a new episode drops. So thanks for listening. Uh, And I just want to say thank you again for helping me grow the show. Word of mouth is the best way. I know there's all kinds of things you can do to market a podcast, but honestly, um, I (laughs) don't have the time to really put into that. Um, I'm just struggling here to get episodes out. So that's kind of my main focus. But you guys are the absolute best marketing that anybody could ever hope for when it comes to a podcast. So thanks for Sharon, sharing just telling other people that you know that makes a huge difference so anyway hope you guys have a great week and we'll catch you with chapter nine here next week When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written. And best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to invicta.enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's invicta.enterprises slash free checklist. We'll see you